Welcome to the Inquisitive VC. Today I'm speaking to Madusha Dasuria. Madusha is the founder and CEO of Expo Labs, an Auckland-based venture studio. Currently, Expo Labs is building and scaling in-house brands, but will soon invest in and help grow other products and technologies. Previously, Madusha was the founder of EMGN.com, an entertainment, media, and gaming website, which in 2015 was the 15th most viewed mobile website in the USA. After successfully exiting EMGN, Madusha went on to grow a range of successful e-commerce businesses. We talk about his journey scaling EMGN, bootstrapping versus raising venture capital, crypto, e-commerce, and more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining. I thought it would be great to start with how you started EMGN and then um, started to essentially go into that full time and start building it out as a proper business. Yeah, sure. So with, with EMG, it was, it was a site that I was running from quite a young age. I was an intermediate when I first started it and I sold it at about 12, 10, 12 years old. And it just started as like a little gaming blog that I was running after school and started getting quite a bit of momentum. And I was, uh, I was seeing actual money coming from it for the first time, which was, you know, quite, quite, quite a thing at that age. So I sort of, I sort of started getting into that world of online advertising monetizing websites, you know, SEO at the time was big, still is, but not as, not as relevant, I would say, but it was one of those things that just started growing me because it, it was always something I was interested in. And yes, yeah, so, I mean, to, to give a background on what it was in GN, we, it's basically a viral news site. So if you, if you familiar with Buzzfeed, it was quite similar to that. What we did was we created basically with, with any, any news that was out there, we created a short form easy read digestible viral pieces on them and we monetized it through uh, google ads and a bunch of other uh, different platforms and so we promoted it quite heavily through facebook ads and through influencers so it was generating quite a lot of traffic we were seeing 10 million day at one point which is some pretty insane numbers and in our best year we did uh close to 20 million dollars so Wow. It went from this 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 thing I did after school to something pretty pretty massive. How did you decide to get into it full time and start building it like a real business rather than like a side blog thing that you started to do? Well, I I got to uni and I wasn't very impressed with uni, and it was sort of like it's not really something I want to be doing. I was I was studying programming at uni, and it was just not really what I wanted to be doing. And I always had this passion for the, the news area and publishing in general. So that's sort of what led me into saying, hey, let's let's give it a shot. Let's try to do this full time. Let's see if I can make this work. And that was 2013. And yeah, it, it exploded from there. I mean, within, within, within a year, we had, I think, five full-time staff. And then within, uh, yeah, within two years, we had a team of 15. Exciting. How did you kind of get towards the stage of thinking about if you want to grow this into a bigger business, think about raising funding or eventually lead you to the sale of it, of the business. What was your thought process on how to decide which way to kind of go forward with? Yeah. The funding route was something we were always looking at. Basically we were seeing um, a lot of the companies around us. It was really daily dose typically. A lot of these guys, and obviously BuzzFeed as well, which, which is sort of the biggest one out there, and they all sort of raised big numbers. Speed raised about $20 million. 
So it was something we were considering. And then one thing that we, we thought about was, I mean, we would like to relocate to the U.S. If we were to do that, again, back in those days, I mean, especially um, with that area, with that industry, there weren't too many investors in New Zealand that would have been too keen on it. And that was sort of where we decided an exit might be something we'll look at. I mean, we ran it for from 2013 to the end of 2016. So a good three years. And that's sort of when we were deciding on the exit because things were changing with Facebook. And along those, along those times is when you would basically have zero organic reach, right? You would have to pay Facebook if you want anything out. There was also a whole bunch of things with Facebook sort of filtering certain things, right? So for example, only CNN would be seen on your feed and these smaller sites wouldn't really be seen. So there was a lot going on on that side of things. So we could see the writing on the wall sort of thing with how that was going. And we were sort of in this area where we had to be paying Facebook for traffic to our site, right? So it, right. it, it was sort of a no-brainer at that point. We're we, we seeing how it was going and we said, hey, look, it's, it's probably now is probably the best time to, to exit. And looking back on it, it was a really good decision. Uh, a lot of the sites that uh, a lot of the com- competitors were either wiped out completely or they just they just sort of just still in that sort of route and trying to raise more funds and just trying to survive at the moment. So it was sort of a good decision looking back on it uh, and it was probably the right time. It's great that you went through that whole process and accelerated time period. Three years is quite quick for you to go from, you know, from a really early stage company to ending up exiting it. How did you essentially deal with that speed of growth? You know, in three years, you said you hired five full-time staff. How was that process from, you know, not really running a business before to hiring, managing, and then eventually negotiating exits? Yeah, I mean, yeah, at, at our peak, we had 15 people actually were most most in, uh, in the writing department, right? Full-time writers. And we, I mean, that was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, we, we never went into it thinking it will grow that fast from zero to 20 million a year, which is insane. And it was completely bootstrapped. We didn't raise a single dollar of funding. So yeah, it was pretty insane. We, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we didn't really go into it expecting that. So yeah, it was quite, quite a surprise to us. For sure. So let's talk about what you decided to do after EMGN. So you ended up selling it and then how did you decide what to do next? Yeah, that was yeah, it was interesting. So I, I wanted to, to stay in, in in digital marketing, right? That was I mean through through EMGN I had racked up about close to twelve million dollars in Facebook ad spend, right? Just myself managing the ads for, for EMGN. So I had quite a bit of experience behind me. And at that time, e-commerce was booming, right? E-commerce sites were everywhere. There, there was a big thing with drop shipping as well back in those days when that was all just starting and growing on Facebook. So that's sort of a, that's sort of where I transitioned into e-commerce. It's sort of a, just an extension of what I was already doing. And it's, it just seemed like the perfect fit. Yeah, fair enough. And how has, you know, the businesses you've built in that space over the past few years been, what are your experience with it? The e-commerce is still a massively growing area. There's still a lot of a lot of growth left. I think the I mean the latest stats, I think it's about 50% is still offline. I think more than 50% are still offline uh, transactions in retail. So there's still a lot of growth left. And this whole COVID thing has 
accelerated all that, but it, there's still a ton and ton of growth left there. Uh, in terms of my businesses, we've had we've had a lot of success. We've had, I mean, some of our biggest ones, Slick Lane, which grew to 30,000 customers within its uh, first two years. Right now, we've got Easy Toned, which is at-home fitness brand. Very similar things there. We did, uh, we've done within the first year just over two million dollars in revenue in New Zealand dollars. Pretty good. Again, these are all bootstrap brands, and there's a lot of a lot of growth potential left in left in all of them. So it's yeah, it's quite an exciting time. And there's there's a couple couple of uh, new brands we launched as well. Bonding Turbis, which is a, a hair towel brand, and that's also had a great success. We had and we sold out within the first couple of months, and now we sort of look and grow that a bit further. So it's. It's an area that I think has a lot of potential, a lot of little goats left in. And could you just quickly give an overview of what Slick Lane is? Oh, yes. Yeah, so Slick Lane is a men's, men's streetwear brand. Me and you were discussing a while ago about the future of digital advertising and how that's really changing now with people being able to you know, block tracking from websites like Facebook and how that impacts advertisers. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how you think that is going to impact advertisers and then what is the future of digital advertising? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing because Facebook, uh, well, not Facebook, sorry, Apple is is really trying to restrict what information advertisers have access to. So far, they, they, they started rolling out on iOS, I think 14.4, I think it is. They're rolling it out. And what it does essentially, it, it, it stops Facebook from being, being able to track you as an individual user. So you just sort of be put into a basket and you just be known as any other Facebook user. Whereas right now they can sort of see almost everything you're doing and they can also track you outside of the app. They can see what websites you're going to and you know, what you're buying, even if you're not using the Facebook app. So it's basically just a restriction on all of that. I, while I think it, it will mainly affect small business, you know, people that just jump on the basic platform, you know, they're, they're, they're not too experienced. They're just looking to grow their business online. I think those are the people that are going to get hurt the most in this. The ones that have been in the game for a while, I don't think it will impact. So it's really just, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how it plays out. We haven't seen the full effects of any of this yet with Apple and, and the changes they're doing. So it'll be, it's a very interesting time, but I think the, the way you, the way you get around it is doing what I believe is, you know, what you should always be doing is producing great content, right? Putting, putting out great ads that really capture people, that really capture people's attention. And that is what, what we've always been focused on and what we're going to continue doing. Right now, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of arbitrage, you know, people just jumping on the platform, trying to make a quick buck on, on Facebook ads. And there's been a lot of opportunity where people are just capitalizing on all the information Facebook has, right? They can launch, jump on there, launch an ad, and it just works, right? Because of all the data Facebook has, they just click that publish button and shit, hey, I've got four sales, five sales. It's, it's just, it, just, it just works. Whereas that is now going to change. And it's, it is going to become a bit of a content race. Better your content is, better your ads are. That's how you're going to have to stand out. Whereas before business were really relying on that information Facebook had. So it, that's why I'm saying that it's really good impact with small businesses that are just, you know, they've just got a banner ad they've done for Fiverr or whatever. They just launched it. It's no longer going to work. But the guys that know what they're doing, it, it's not going to impact. So it's sort of a, a, a bad thing for small business, really. Yeah. And what do you think about, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how it's important to build a community around products and businesses. So 
what are your what are your thoughts on building a community versus creating great content i mean with with community i think content plays a big part in that because content is how you communicate with your with your audience right so if that that's sort of how you speak to your audience right and that that plays a big part in, in building that community because it needs to be something people resonate with but definitely i think building communities around brands is a big thing it's actually something we're focusing on big time right now with easy tone uh, we're just putting up these 12-week fitness challenges and we've got a bit of a facebook group going getting people onto that and we've got this a competition that we can start to run the best transformation on there will, will win some cash prizes right so things like that just building community around your brand building good following around your brand is obviously going to be a big thing but the content definitely plays a big role in building that let's talk about expo labs and what you plan to build with that side of the business yeah, sure. So Expo Labs is the, the newest venture. We launched it last year. And the idea behind that, it's at the, at the moment, what, what we're doing with that is we're building a, a good team of talent to support the businesses that we're running at the moment. So for, for EasyTone, for, for Ciclane, for Tervis, for, for Fly as well. We didn't actually touch on Fly, but for Fly as well. So it's, it's really just building a pool of talent to help grow our brands a lot faster at the moment, right? And the, the eventual goal of that is put into a, to a venture studio, right? And that we're essentially going to be looking for early stage startups, early stage and to begin with in the e-commerce sector. And what we want to be doing is uh, investing early and then using our machine, which consists of, you know, our the, the talent and the team and the process that we build to help grow those companies a lot faster, right? And that's really the big goal with that. But right now it's it's helping power our current brands because that's, that's, that's the focus at the moment. So when do you think it would be open to new startups? I was saying Q2 and we're now just heading into Q2, but we're probably going to push that bit back a bit further because we are focusing a lot more on growing EasyTone at the moment, growing Turbist at the moment, which have a lot of growth potential left in them. So it, it might be more close to the end of the year, but it's already something where I'm sort of starting to look at. If you started, I mean, you had, had a few discussions around this as well. So it's, it's one of those things that I really do want to get into quickly, but our current brands are the priority. For sure. And being a founder who's, you know, built a bootstrap business has done that, you know, again with your e-commerce businesses, what kind of advice would you give a founder thinking about, you know, bootstrapping their business versus raising funding? It's interesting, Ralph, because like with, with, it depends on what industry you're in as well, because with always some things, it's hard to bootstrap, right? But if you're in, if you're looking at e-commerce, you can achieve profitability fairly quickly with, with a low budget. And that's, that's, that's sort of the beauty with e-commerce, right? But yeah, I guess it, it really does depend on what it is you're doing. But I'm, I'm quite lucky to be in an area where it, it, it can be done fairly easily. What would you say is the hardest thing about identifying what kind of e-commerce business to start, as in what product to sell? How do you come to that decision? We do a lot of research on, in, in, in any given area that we will look it into, we, what we do is we jump in and we see what ads they're running. It's, it's as simple as that. We go in and go, hey, are these guys doing their ads properly? And, and it comes down to that. Let's say with Tervis, I'll give you a great example, Tervis, and we, we had a look at the market. There was basically no one that was running ads for this particular type of product uh, and scaling it through Facebook. Like there was this one brand called Equis who was selling it through, through TV, but 
other than that, we couldn't find a single brand that was able to create a winning ad and scale through Facebook. So we saw that as an opportunity. We jumped in. We had a great product. It's a very unique product. And we do believe it's the best in the market as well. We spend a lot of time building it. And we, we were able to scale and scale out through Facebook when it looks like no one else is doing that. So it's, we, we, look, we mainly look at the, the ads and what, what people are doing already. And then we try to improve on that quite significantly. And what are your thoughts on, you know, dropshipping now? You mentioned the point that you started getting into e-commerce. It was a relatively big thing. Is that still the case or it's kind of dying down now? I mean, yeah, dropshipping comes down to just a method of fulfillment, right? So it's still something people can do and make, make big, big money on through dropshipping, but it's not something I would recommend these days. And that's mainly due to how much of an importance Facebook puts on custom satisfaction, right? Uh, and they have things like feedback score that they've introduced. So what, what the main thing we, we look for is to make, make customer satisfaction as, as good as possible. And that means fast shipping times, right? So with drop shipping, traditionally, you see 30 day, 40 day shipping times. And that is something that we think is no longer sustainable in, in this current market and how quickly things have changed in that market. 2016, yeah, look, even, even big e-commerce brands, didn't have great shipping, right? If you were in New Zealand and you're buying from a US company, most of the time it will take 20 days. So it wasn't, it wasn't a huge difference. But now everyone's got access to these third-party logistics centers that you can you know, just jump on with zero sales. And all, what, what that's done is it, it means everyone has access to fast shipping, right? You don't have to be Amazon to get fast shipping. You, you, you can just jump on to one of these logistic uh, partners and access fast shipping, right? So the competition there has evolved completely. So if you're still drop shipping and providing your customers with a 40 day shipping time, you're gonna get left behind and what's normally gonna happen is those customers are not gonna come back to you, right? So it's, it's, it's not a long-term sustainable thing with those sort of shipping times mainly. Yeah, now that's great insight. I know you've gotten into crypto recently. I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on, you know, if you've thought about how crypto is going to impact e-commerce yeah it's interesting one because eh? like uh, it's it's a, it's it's a sector that me and you've discussed just so long right and you you're quite deeply involved in it as well and it's something i've just gotten into recently a lot more even though it's something you've been telling me to get into for, for, for quite a while in terms of e-commerce and uh, it's hard to say i mean mainly because at, at the moment the adoption isn't it's there but it's not it's not huge Adoption, but we, we, there's, 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 there's PayPal that's getting into it now. I mean, of course, I'm sure you've heard of this, but PayPal's launching their merchant payment system. And what that allows is for any e-commerce brand, they can basically just click a button and start accepting cryptocurrencies, right? I think they're launching with Bitcoin, Litecoin, and a couple others. So it's, that alone is going to be quite big for it, but it's, it's still a case that most people, most people at the moment prefer fiat currency. So at, at the moment, I'm not sure, but there are projects that are sort of changing the game in this space. I'm not sure if you heard of GET, they call guaranteed access token, right? And what they do, it's NFTs for event ticketing, right? And they've sold 600,000 tickets online so far through their, their tokenized tickets, right? And it's, it's sort of, it's sort of taken on Ticketmaster, right? Cause Ticketmaster, there's scalpers that can jump on and just grab tickets and resell them. And with this system, they can't do that anymore, right? Cause your tickets are tokenized. 
and they, they can really be one owner. It's, it's, it's a very cool system. So it's things like that that are coming in through the blockchain that are interesting, but there isn't a massive shift just yet, I think, but it's definitely coming. As an e-commerce business operator, how would you decide if you would you know, accept crypto as payment or not? I mean, personally, it's a no-brainer. I think, like, why not, right? We don't see any downside in it. So I, I guess it, it does come down to personal preference and if the business can can take that risk because it, there can be a lot of volatility. But for us, it's, we'll, we'll be on board as soon as PayPal allows it. Fantastic. To kind of wrap it up, I have a couple of quick questions. One is, what's the secret obsession of yours that not a lot of people know about? That's an interesting question. I guess with with ads, man, I obsess over ads. <laughs> I, 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 I almost religiously follow the sort of the top directors and what they're producing. And I'm always sort of looking up my game there because I'm a strong believer that's, that's, that's sort of the big thing that separates brands. So it's something that I'm always looking at to see, you know, what sort of ads are these brands producing? How can we, how can we get to that sort of level? What can we be doing to improve on those things? That's something that I obsess over a lot at the moment, especially here. That's interesting. What advice would you give a first-time founder? I I would say these days, there's a lot, especially on Instagram, of these sort of overnight success stories of people just, you know, like, it's it's, there's so much, there's so many gurus out there just promoting this sort of get-rich-quick sort of mentality. And I, I feel like that's sort of a downfall of a lot of entrepreneurs these days, especially young entrepreneurs that sort of jump in and they're just looking for a quick buck, I would say if that's, I mean, if that's a mindset you're coming into it, you're probably going to have a lot of problems to start off with. But I would say it takes a long time. It takes a lot of grinding. It takes a lot of work to create something that's long-term and sustainable. So I would say stick to it. Find something that you absolutely love, right? That's the first thing. And stick to it. Just just keep doing it. Don't, don't, don't ever give up on it. Just keep doing it. Because th- those breakthroughs will happen and uh, you, might, you might be sitting on a billion-dollar unicorn, but... You know, if you're giving up too early on it, that's where the problem is. That's some great advice. Um, Well, that's it. Thanks for joining. I'm looking forward to putting out this episode. Cheers, bro. Good to chat.